0: Hello and welcome to Arcadis at MIPIM, a special series of five programmes focusing on the future of real estate. We'll be hearing about the buildings we live and work in and the biggest challenges facing our cities. I'm Emma Nelson and today, from sending an email to downloading your favourite podcast, we look at data and what we do with it.
1: Wherever we go...
2: One of the first things they ask is, Dad, where's the Wi-Fi? Do we need all these cat videos somewhere to keep endlessly accessing?
0: Data centres are big business. Today, based in France, we'll be hearing from an architect and a developer and an Arcadis business voice on how data centres not only act as a digital warehouse, they can also be good neighbours.
3: They were seeing bees and birds and all sorts of things right in the centre of Paris, generated by... The data center.
0: Plus, we'll find out what needs to happen if the day comes when we run out of space.
1: So, the first rule of sustainable development is can you repurpose a building?
0: That's all coming up on Arcadis at MIPIM. And a very warm welcome to today's show. We love data, we depend on it, even more so since the pandemic. Springing up around our communities are so called data centres, they're becoming a permanent fixture either springing up in new places or giving a second life to abandoned buildings. Well, joining me around the table here in London...
2: Hello, my name is James Ricks. I'm a, an Associate Project Manager with Arcadis. I've been with Arcadis since uh, 2019.
4: Hello, I'm Laura Orwood. I'm a Trainee Project Manager for Arcadis and I work in the data centre industry. And on the line today...
2: Hi, I'm Tony Jacob.
3: I'm Vice President of design and Construction at Digital Realty. Hello, Alex Reed, architect, Reed brun architect. We've been involved in the data centre industry since 2007.
0: And we're also joined on the line by Olivier Dumoulin. Hey, good morning. Who's the business development lead of Arcadis France. Welcome all. Right, let's just set the scene a little bit. Laura, you have grown up with data all your life, haven't you?
4: Yes, I have. I've known nothing but data everything around we've constantly had tvs phones ipads laptops in the house my whole career has been based on data i couldn't have done my career without it for example i recently took part in arcadis's digital discovery program which is normally delivered in a one-week in-person course but because of covid it had to take place over 10 weeks online without data i never would have taken part in that career james we cannot underestimate how much we have come to love data
2: Just because we use a lot of data there, we forget it has a hidden cost to it. For example, every time you jump on your phone or uh, computer onto a Google search, did you realise that you're using as much energy as it takes to light an incandescent light bulb of 60 watts for 17 seconds? In the course of a year, your Google searches will light that light bulb for probably seven and a half months.
0: Tony, what is a data centre? A data
1: center is basically where the cloud lives. So this is where computer servers are stored. This is where fiber, uh, which is our means of basically it's our bloodline, it's our arteries, it's our veins. This is where data is exchanged, is stored. And this is also where customers can virtually meet. So data centers can be beautiful towers. There's a couple of great examples in Amsterdam where using a small land parcel can create a multi-storey and very beautiful architecture. Data sensors can be industrial sheds with a very, very plain, simple facade, rather like some of the distribution buildings you see. I don't think one size fits all. I don't think one look and feel fits all.
0: And Olivier, when you're working with your clients at Arcadis, what challenges are you picking up on?
5: The first one is the explosion of the cloud computing. All the clients of the data centres are moving into the the cloud. The second one is the the rise of automation and robotics and AI uh, in the industry. And the third one is the sustainability aspect.
0: And at a project level, Olivier, what are you finding?
5: The insertion within the city, uh, all the relationship with the different stakeholders, be the municipality but also the associations of neighbours, uh, then the material availability is an issue, uh, be construction material or specific minerals or material that are used uh, to build the technology in, needed inside the data center. Another trend we see uh, in the in our projects is that there is a big shortage of talents uh, in this industry because this is booming. All the industry needs, you know, a specialized project manager, uh, engineers, uh, leaders, business leaders developers and um, uh, there is not enough uh, so it can pose uh, challenges uh, in terms of, of quality availability of, of talents and we hope to help our clients to you know propose our people to help this uh, shortage of talents but you have to admit that even ourselves if we could recruit more we could do maybe twice as much as as a project as we do. And the last one is the um, is ability of land uh, and the ability of buildings to repurpose.
0: Alex, you've been working on data centres at your architecture practice for, what, 13, 14 years now. How have things changed since you first began on all this?
3: Uh, the, the scale of, of data centres has grown considerably. The environmental impact aspects also. But an important point is that data centres in terms of the energy use are far more efficient today than they were in the past. That's because the the operators are trying to reduce their costs and thereby using more efficient cooling methods and more efficient electrical equipment to reduce the overall uh, energy requirements. Before, we'd be looking at cooling systems using water. That's been reduced dramatically because of the environmental impact. So I would say that since we began, the energy use has improved, more efficient. And it's for sure lately, because of the environmental and political impact of data centres, has grown enormously. And so with our clients, we need to be very aware of where they're sited and how they're integrated into not only the built environment, but also their out-of-town data centres, which need to respect increasingly the environmental constraints.
2: In a lot of large data centres, we are still cooling them in the same way that we've cooled them for 20 years. I've often said that the data centre industry loves innovation, as long as it's been around for 20 years and you're not the first one to try it.
0: Let's bring you back in, Olivier, in terms of the challenges that you found your clients are dealing with at Arcadis. When someone comes to you and says, I need to build a data centre, what are the risks and and the opportunities that you see in front of you?
6: well we see that there is a lot of different situation depending on the on the type of data centers and uh, how close they are from the big uh, highways and points in the big cities but what we see is there is really a shift in the stakeholders are just before the the operators who are the, the investors increasingly they are putting pressure to have a sustainable type of data center of design and we actually work uh, not only with operators but directly with investors who are looking at portfolio or projects who can uh, build on their on their green or their sustainability strategy. And uh, the other front I would uh, would mention is that we work with our partners, architect, to design more more sustainable buildings, be in terms of material, of the design, the operation and also the property or the facility management after it's built. And I think collectively we have progressed a lot in the recent times on these aspects. But there is still a lot to be done in terms of the future sustainable design of data centres.
0: Alex, is it actually possible to build a carbon neutral data centre?
6: Not yet. (laughs) Um, In France, we're
3: quite a long way along that because the electrical energy is nuclear powered. But all the equipment that goes into it, which is being imported to France, does have a carbon content. We could say that the actual construction materials have got carbon related, concrete, steel, etc. And that's a challenge. But in terms of the energy, especially, as I say, in the French context, the carbon footprint is quite minimal because of the nuclear power.
0: And Tony, when it comes to the challenges that you have when finding locations and and constructing these things, the pressure is really on for you to make these as carbon neutral as you can. I mean, how far down the line are you?
1: I would say um, I'm much more optimistic. And I think there's already many things in train that gives me great confidence about carbon neutrality. So we've done a series of studies around the whole carbon life cycle. There's a lot of embodied carbon in how we build. But our studies show that in an overall life cycle, 93% of the total carbon of a data centre is in operational use.
0: Olivier, the pressure from companies and businesses, though, is huge in order to keep things you know, economically profitable and viable. And when you have all these extra environmental considerations to bring in, how much focus is actually given to that, given the fact that Facebook recently pledged to restore more water than it uses by 2030. And some people said this is a bit of a PR stunt. It ties in with the don't do evil message from the big tech giants.
6: Actually, I think there was a big change a few years ago. And now we see all the stakeholders in the supply chain that really have sustainable goals at the heart of their strategy. And actually, this is working because it's also profitable in the long run so we see that for instance the investors in that field have a better return if you invest in sustainable assets this is the case also for the operator this is the case for the consulting and engineering companies like Arcades. we all are dynamized by the trigger of using less energy. And I think what really has as a shift on top of this, I would say financial incentive is that as citizens, all the leaders of the companies be in that industry, they have a personal commitment to change this and to make a better life for our children. <music>
0: With Arcadis at MIPIM. Today we're talking about data centers with Tony Jacob, Vice President of Design and Construction at Digital Realty, Alex Reed, who's co founder of Reed Brune Architects based in Paris, and Laura Allwood, trainee project manager at Arcadis, James Ricks, who's Associate Project Director at Arcadis, and Olivier Dumoulin, Business Development Lead of Arcadis France. Right, let's talk about where we build our data centers and what we use to build them. Alex, Can a data centre be as beautiful as it is useful?
3: In France, to get a building permit, you have to satisfy the local mayor. The local mayor is looking to improve his environment, to please his voters. And so a data centre has got to look good. So yes, we we spend our entire lives trying to make data centres beautiful.
0: Tony, tell me about your good-looking data centres.
1: We have to take our responsibility very seriously. And wherever we're building, we do try and blend in and fit in with the local architectural context and the whole needs of the community. So therefore, if we're not treading sensitively, we just won't have a business at all. One example that springs immediately to mind is some of our colleagues in the French team repurposed a World War II submarine bunker, incredibly complex concrete structure, right on the Marseille seafront, And as part of the urban regeneration, that is now a state-of-the-art data centre with some of the world's leading brands featuring there. And it's a piece of modern architecture, it's a piece of industrial modern architecture, repurposing a building. The first rule of sustainable development is, can you repurpose a building?
0: The thought of a beautiful new piece of useful architecture springing up is clearly a very good one. But Alex, not every mayor is so keen, are they?
3: That's true. It's on the political agenda. So they have got to be convinced that the insertion into their town is going to be positive. And because of the nature of a data center, because of the nature of the spaces required for a data center, it is a challenge.
0: Tony, there's often quite a lot of local resistance to the arrival of data centres. An example is in Ennis in in County Clare in Ireland, where there was a a big pushback. They wanted the government to prioritise decarbonisation and not prioritise data centres. They have valid concerns, don't they? There are fears that data centres don't create a lot of jobs and and not that much benefit comes to a place.
1: Uh, I would challenge that. I would say, in our society, if we can take a very, very domestic example, uh, I have four children, wherever we go, one of the first things they ask is, Dad, where's the Wi-Fi? So it used to be, does it have a shower? Does it have um, a television? Now, where's the Wi-Fi? So we, as a society, absolutely rely on the data center industry. So it's basically now, it's a new utility, power, water, gas, data. The Marseille example is a great example we sponsor a huge chunk of the off-coast off um, nature center. We're using um, local uh, underground river sources to provide a cooling source. So I think that that's, you know, and communities recognize this when uh, large companies make an effort to embed themselves in the community. You know, the biodiversity studies we do, making sure that we're um, establishing green corridors, you know, the pollution control, the noise control, uh, the, the traffic management we put in place. Uh, all these things are, are, are genuinely considered to to, to tread lightly, to, to impose ourselves or introduce ourselves into a community um, by minimising the impact. And
0: Alex, tell us how this fits in within a, a bigger city. I mean, many of us think of a data centre as being something which is out of town. But if the Wi-Fi need is as strong as it has become in the last few years, you need these places nearby, don't you?
3: Exactly. And we've worked on a number of projects, notably w- within Paris, where we have sited data centres. We've just finished one in the 11th arrondissement. Working within the urban context, nine times out of ten, it's repurposing a building. The one I'm just talking about in in central Paris uh, used to be an office block, which was converted into a a data centre. So the infrastructure was there. Obviously, the impact of such a piece of technology within the Parisian environment, with the Haussmannian streets and buildings, etc. That was countered, or or helped, if you like, that we created on on the roof of the the data centre a vegetable garden for the neighbours. So rather than looking out onto chillers, technical equipment, they're now looking onto a vegetable garden, where we had a recent visit by the people from the, uh, the Ville de Paris, and they were absolutely bowled over by the fact that they were seeing bees and birds and all sorts of things right in the center of, of of Paris, generated by the data center the waste heat that was being used to help the rooftop garden the vegetable garden the data center has been cited because of its requirements in terms of volumes etc in spaces that have been left over, if you like, and the fact that the data centre has moved in has created a commercial environment around the data centre. So that's when the kind of urban design integration, etc. The other thing about having a data centre within a city is that the the reuse of the waste heat, Uh, and it's now almost obligatory in France these days that you must reuse the waste heat. And so in France, in, in cities where they do have urban heating systems, the presence of a data centre is a positive effect on that.
0: And James, what positive effects have you seen in the projects at Arcadis?
2: I've seen examples uh, of greenhouses close to data centres, or I believe there's a data centre within Spain that talks about using heat in a swimming pool uh, environment.
0: Let's bring you in on now, Olivier, to ask the crucial question that many people think about in communities is how safe are these things that we have issues of data security uh, we have all this amazing data being stored in this one building and it, they are they are crucial locations to keep cities and indeed countries the whole world moving
6: a few months ago there was a major crisis in the data in france because uh, one of uh, the major the data centers got on fire and there was a lot of businesses and ministries that uh, had no data or no access to the data during 48 hours. So this is uh, also a kind of, of security and even sovereignty um,
0: challenge. Tony, human beings are really good at gathering stuff. Are we looking at a world where there is going to be infinite demand for data centres and we're going to find competition for space and storage?
1: I think we have we've yet to see some new technology breakthroughs which will, I think, will solve some of these conundrums. So the ability to store data in a very different way, the ability to access data in a different way, I think will shift the landscape in 10, 20 years' time. I think the industry is so flat out at the moment doing things, it's not really having a chance to take that step change. And I think it's the brave organisations that will quickly realise that our current model will come to an end. The global resources are finite. We only have one planet's worth of resources. So those kind of very, very big picture, world picture type thinking will start to dominate. And we're seeing a lot of great thought leadership at the major players. The industry's well-known names are all doing their bit to drive that development.
0: James, let's look ahead to the future and a few things that um, if you're a planner or if you are a data center developer or if you're an estate agent or if you are just a normal human being with an email account, what is it that humans could do or what's a one little change that you would ask us all to do to make sure that data centres are not only you know, managed well and kept well but the amount of stuff that we put in them is kept to the, not to the minimum, but to a, kept to a realistic level?
2: It's very easy to say, well, big organisations need to do this. Big companies should do that but those companies are run by people, individuals. So it comes down to us ourselves as individuals. What are we doing? Do we need to send that email? Every person probably generates about 136 kilos of carbon per year sending and receiving emails. Do you need to send the email or can you walk up to somebody and have a Literal conversation, rather that sounds than sounds like to... a
0: strange thing in this new world. I space. know it
2: is, and it's uh, it's very scary. Yeah, you know, this is a whole new experience for for me. Sitting around a table talking with people, nice, isn't it? It's lovely. It's great to have that human interaction, communication, conversations are really important. But we need to think carefully about our digital footprint.
0: And what can the big tech companies do to make this easier for us? Because we don't like to make a change if it means that we have to sacrifice anything.
2: Well, also also true. The way they store and use data, do we need all these cat videos stored somewhere to keep endlessly accessing? We store stuff because we can, but we don't actually need to. Because you can have an intelligent watering system on your plant, it produces data. Do you actually need to keep that data?
0: That really is an interesting question. It makes you wonder how aware we are of all the data that we're using I mean I did not know that an automatic plant waterer will be storing some data somewhere I just thought it would just
4: be watering the plant I mean Laura, bring you in here are we unaware of how much data we're using We don't have a clue if I speak to many of my friends at my age they've got no idea how much data we're actually using and so many of my friends that they've got all these different smart technologies so most people have an Alexa in their house but actually do we really need that? Do we need to be able to talk to something to tell it to turn the light on when we can quite simply just stand up, walk over to the light switch? We could quite easily reduce a lot of the carbon that we used. Just something as basic as that.
1: I think they could start a debate, you know, using their own platforms to get that kind of debate and interface with us as end users. What what choices do we want? Do we need immediate access to photographs we took in 2012? Getting that kind of awareness campaign going so we can manage the trade offs and there's a huge thing we can do then around efficient storage of that data if it's not needed quickly so there are some trade offs and i think the big companies can can do that through social awareness campaigns i think there's also business leadership when all businesses across the world can also embed environmental thinking into their goals or objectives their trainings their everyday processes and their decision making
0: and all storing data at the same time. Um, Olivier, uh, final words from you. What would you be your one tip to industry, to business, about the use of data sensors and, the, and their future?
6: Increasingly, we want to be efficient and responsible on the three P's. So you have the profit, which is the traditional bottom line, but also the people. What is the bottom line for the society, for your community? It links with our families, our friends. And then the third P is the planet,
0: and that brings us to the end of today's show. My thanks to Tony Jacob, Alex Reid, Laura Allwood, James Ricks, and Olivier Dumoulin. And if you enjoyed that, then make sure you subscribe. And for more on Arcadis' work on this, the Data Center Location Index on the Arcadis website offers all kinds of advice on where to build next and why. And search Arcadis wherever you get your podcasts to hear the other episodes in this special series at Mipin and follow Arcadis on social media to find out more about what we do. But for now, from me, Emma Nelson, goodbye. Thank you very much for listening.